0: Welcome to a very special edition of the D2C podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, you're invited to listen in on the panel we hosted last week in Vancouver, British Columbia, where we packed in 150 of the West Coast's top D2C entrepreneurs and marketers for a live podcast and some FaceTime with their local peers. We wanted to know if the world was ready for real live events, and our hypothesis was glowingly confirmed with what turned out to be a truly magical event. The panel gathered leaders from diverse sectors of the e-comm spectrum, from TrueEarth, Doer, Bloom, Monos, and Black Crow AI. We focused on real talk about what's working and what's not in. C to see in 2022, including the return of brick and mortar, rebounding from the iOS 14.5 breakup, why everyone goes broad and why Facebook likes it that way, the importance of first party data and where exactly to use it, and where every brand should be fitting TikTok into their media mix. I hope you enjoy the panel as much as I enjoyed hosting it, and stay tuned for something like this coming to your neighborhood soon. On with the show.
1: gone really broad on Facebook, the broad audience seems to actually work way better for us.
2: That's a conspiracy by Facebook to get you to spend more money, everyone. I think it is. (laughs) Facebook's interest is to keep a brand's nose above water as close to drowning as they can, but just above water so that they can keep spending. What really works, actually, is taking a much more fine-grained approach. Focus your dollars on people that have some future transaction value. Facebook doesn't want you to do that. They want you to spend on everyone and their algorithm will figure it out. If you know the future value and start allocating your bids according to value, the efficiency gains are massive.
0: There's nothing better than hanging out with your best friend, someone who finishes your sentences and knows you better than you know yourself it's time for retailers to be their shopper's next best friend. With BlueCore, brands can match shoppers with the products and offers they want to see next across all digital channels, including SMS. So put the power of a personal shopper in your shopper's pocket. Visit BlueCore.com to see how brands like Noble, Express and Bliss are making shopping fun again and becoming their shopper's next best friend. So we've gathered together some of Vancouver's most exciting brands in order to just ask some questions, have, a, have a, a panel here. I tried to get representatives from all walks of Vancouver's e-commerce scene. So we'll start with my friend Ryan McKenzie from True Earth. Uh, we've got Bunny Gatrora, another podcast guest that we've had who's fantastic. She's the co-founder and CEO of Bloom. We've got Calvin Roex, uh, director of e-commerce at Doer, And then we also have Roxanne Tan, director of growth marketing at Monos, which I packed my luggage to come to this trip with. And of course, Richard Harris, who's the CEO and founder of BlackCrow.ai. Thanks, everyone. So just to start, I, I was talking with some of the people before this event, and uh, a bunch of people were just, they want to just know how things are going. How, how are things going in 2022 with your brand?
1: I mean, I think it depends on the week that you ask me that question, um, but I think you know what we've started seeing is like the shift to retail and brick and mortar a little bit so that's that's definitely been a change I think people as we know are like excited to head back in a store and touch and feel product again so ecom feels like it's leveling out a little bit versus like what we were seeing during the pandemic. It feels like that brick and mortar is coming back quite strong and so in terms of like channel allocation and channel mix it's shifted a little bit from you know purely online to retail
0: but the new normal is new again. It's yeah. you know, this idea that, that the pace that we set during the pandemic kind of came down a little bit, right? Yeah, and I
1: mean, even when you look at like, Netflix, Amazon was down in the Netflix last quarter. Netflix is down 90% yeah, or something. totally. And I think there was that graph that, um, if any of you follow this newsletter called uh, Charter, where they showed like UK sales ver- online versus brick and mortar. And that level set of that trend
3: is, is pretty telling.
0: The rest of the panelists agree? Are, are you seeing a shift towards retail as well?
3: Yeah, I think for, for true earth, we're definitely putting a more conscious effort into being more omnichannel. Um I, I think it obviously depends on the product that you're that you're trying to sell, but like for laundry detergent, eighty percent of the people that are buying laundry detergent are they're grabbing it when they're buying the rest of their groceries. And to not at least throw our hats in the ring in, in that particular channel it would be would be ignorant. But you know, as a result of the IOS fourteen point five challenge with, with data and the Basically, the increase in acquisition costs associated with uh, picking up new customers, we're trying to to diversify, and and, and that means being available where people are shopping.
4: Yeah, not to sound like a broken record, but we started pre-pandemic, fully D2C, and then throughout the pandemic made the switch into being omnichannel, and now we are putting a lot more time, resources, and effort towards our omni-channel strategy and making sure that our retailers are well-equipped because we're seeing even at some retailers like Sephora, for example, where their brick-and-mortar sales, which would usually be, even pre-pandemic, a smaller portion in comparison to .ca, is significantly creeping up and even beating .ca in some weeks. And I think it just comes from the shift of people wanting to be in person again. They they want to be touching things. They don't want to be in front of screens. And I think the concept of community is coming back in a way um, even stronger than it did pre-2020 out of the need for people to want to be able to connect similar to exactly how we're doing here?
5: Yeah, it's definitely going up this year, um, especially considering that travel is now a thing again. So with people being able to travel, obviously, you know, we see travel products go up Um, and obviously also comparing it to pandemic year. Uh, During the pandemic, though, I will say, I was very impressed, I wasn't with Monos at the time, but I was very impressed with their pivot strategy. Um, Obviously, I don't need to explain to everyone here why the pandemic was really bad for us, uh, being a brand in the travel space. Um, But Monos was able to develop a product to go into market pretty quickly in four weeks. And that new product was basically like a sanitation device that current customers at the time, as well as future customers can use. And that product was really what got the brand out of the woods.
0: One of the things that came up on a podcast recently with Perry Belcher was mentioning the reverse strategy that brands like uh, Warby Parker are using where they're quantifying their ad spend and they're seeing a huge increase in their brick and mortar stores. Is that a link that you've been able to make with your brands where you're able to see the impact of your online in the brick and mortar stores?
4: It's something that we test honestly, like on and off, on a monthly, weekly basis. And obviously, with like retailers, you don't have immediate data, anyways, because we don't own our own stores. So if we do increase ad spend, we won't know until the following Sunday when they send us a report. So we try to do a lot of geo targeting to those locations. So if we go really hard on Facebook ads driving to Sephora, you know, in certain postal codes in Vancouver, do we see the Vancouver sales increase for two or three weeks versus trying it in another geographic, or, uh, geography? And so that's like a test that sometimes I don't even know if it's like effective or not, and we're just kind of guessing, so we're always turning it on and off to see what the changes are.
3: Yeah, I think like it's difficult to get the data on from from individual retailer to, to justify your spend, but uh, one, one of the interesting things that you can do if you're spending enough on Facebook or on Google is you can do a brand lift study, and they'll do geo holdouts based on different regions, and you can see the incrementality of your spend to see whether or not the brand recall is, is there. So when somebody goes into a store, um, they recognize your product and there's an opportunity for them to make a purchase.
0: And those brand lifts are those the ads that I see, like which of these brands are you familiar with, essentially, right? That's what those are.
3: Yeah, you, you basically have an opportunity to ask a couple different questions. Which of these do you recognize?
1: Or like we've just run a Google survey as well, where you yeah. can just you know pay for X amount of respondents to see that awareness lift, but.
3: It, it'll show you the geo holdout where they don't show your ads do versus the ones where they do, and, and like, it's pretty significant. We work
2: with uh, Madrid that came and founded Jewelry brand. They have a lot of brick and mortar locations in addition to their PC online uh, business, and they, they do something similar, right, where they will look at the geo-effectiveness of ads based on a you know, really uh, correlation.
0: What's old is new is a theme that I kind of keep hearing again and again. We just did a, a piece uh, on, on the metaverse and Web3, and now our next piece I think we're going to do is on, like, direct mail. You know what I mean? Because it's just as relevant for people in, in some ways right now. I've I, I just... This is... I didn't even... Has anyone tried anything in the direct mail space?
1: Just on my last... On the last point, I also think we tend to care a little less on, like whether it's retail or online like we look at d2c as a whole and so that channel mix isn't as important of like you know oh did we you know run an ad and did it increase retail or did it increase online we sort of look at d to c as as a whole and then i mean the how did you hear about us surveys obviously we run, run those in stores <laughs> And then, sorry, what was the... The
0: Direct mail. Has anyone tested direct mail? Yeah, so
1: we tried direct mail at a few of our U.S. stores. Again, hard to increase the direct lift, you know, in that moment. Like, whether that's, like, sort of long tail and six months down the road someone brings in a mail card. I think um, when we've looked at it, like, we actually have... You get better rates if you do it on a national level versus, like, a specific regional level to drive specifically in-store. And I've also always felt, like it's so hard to change consumer behavior. Like, to direct someone to go in the store after they get a mail that says like, oh, you can just go to shopdura.com. it's like, let people shop where they wanna shop, you know, and make it as easy and seamless as possible rather than thinking about it as like unique individual channels, you
3: know? I think, like, you know, being in, being in CPG, it's a pretty traditional channel for to get a sample in the mail and, you know, a pair of jeans, you can't send, you're not going to send like a little swatch, right? Oh, maybe. maybe. Like, I don't know. Hey, look how stretchy stretch, it is. stretch, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we've, we've done some locally, and we're actually in the process of rolling out uh, a much bigger campaign across Canada to, and, you know, it's pretty easy to validate with a primarily D2C brand because you give them a sample, they try it, there's a coupon code, if they use it. It's easy to track attribution, and, and if you get the numbers you're looking for that hits KPIs, you can easily scale it. And just if you guys ever do do it, if you're like inside of Canada, they have the craziest data. They can take all of your customer data, they can overlay it. Uh, they can find like, they give you avatars for the different, the different people that, that kind of make your purchases. They can tell you which customers don't buy e-commerce very frequently. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. You don't have to buy the list. It's just
0: there. It's just addresses. You just look them up in the phone in the phone book.
3: They have delivery information based on like how each individual, how much they purchase from Amazon or from, from, from online. It's pretty cool.
0: So with the in the wake of iOS fourteen point five, you know we're talking about multi channels. We're talking about using platform data, using this third party data. What have been your biggest attribution challenges, and how have you solved them?
5: I like to use platform data as really just proxy data, really. Um, it can be really useful when you're doing creative testing, and, like using an A-B testing tool, and just making those day-to-day tactical-level decisions um, in terms of like whether or not to pause this ad or like let this ad run for a bit longer. Uh, but in terms of actually evaluating whether or not a channel is... Um, Performing well, we do conversion lift studies. Um, so these are incrementality tests that you would run on either a campaign level or an account level to be able to get your incremental ROAS. And doing that, uh, so, I haven't really done too much of that at Monos because I've only been at Monos for two months. Uh, but before Monos, I was working for yet another uh, D2C company based in Vancouver called Article. And at Article, we would run conversion live studies on a campaign level every month. And then we would run conversion live studies on an account level quarterly. So, doing these types of studies with holdout groups to really measure your incremental impact. Um, and what kind of increment, incre- bleh, I can't speak today. <laughs> what kind of incremental impact, how many times can I say incremental, uh, that channel brings to you is really important um, when it comes to measuring success.
2: What we hear from you know, tons of customers is obviously you don't really trust any platform data, like Facebook data is uh, crap. And so it seems like there's a bit of like musical chairs happening now where some brands are using like Northbeam or Measure. I don't know if you guys it would be from you guys. People are sort of like, it's a system and you can kind of call anything your system of record, but I don't think anyone is super sure that those are particularly bad based on the sort of assumption rules that they use. One super interesting thing um, we've been seeing and doing is figuring out because I think what what we see a lot is that given that it's really hard to attribute, say, ROAS, or when you're trying to figure out your marketing effectiveness, tracking back to a conversion or to LTV is obviously the goal. That's become really hard to do. So people are searching for these upper funnel metrics, and a lot of stupid stuff is coming back, like clicks or engagement or other stuff that's like very 1998, but like there's no other there's no other path on it. And so we've seen new upper funnel metrics come to fore. One we help a lot of brands um, work on with is we, so our core thing is we predict the future value of users in real time, we're a machine learning company. So in real time, we can predict how likely is someone to do the thing you want them to do, subscribe or buy or whatever. But because we're doing that prediction in real time from the moment someone arrives, when people turn on a new channel or a new campaign or even new creative, we can now say, hey, the people coming in from this channel, X percent of them, 40%, are high value you know, high future value when they're coming from TikTok versus only 10% are high future value when they're coming from this new Reddit campaign you're running. And so it's obviously not conversion data, but it's a very accurate set of predictive audience data. And so I think there's a lot of experimentation like that that's beginning to happen. What else can you do up funnel, but that isn't stupid?
4: We use... um the probably least sophisticated approach is really just talking to our customers and our post-purchase survey is like our gold right now. And so we use in-app data for things like, you know, A-B tests or if an ad got zero impressions, zero clicks, et cetera, you know, we'll cut that ad. But in terms of which channel's working, how we increase spend and what that looked like, we, our post-purchase survey really is number one. We also use triple whale, which is quite effective, but again, it doesn't, it's still unreliable and so we really stay as close to our post-purchase survey as we can and then we also follow up pretty regularly with different customer segments based off of either uh, their LTV or how long they've been a customer for or what product they purchased to find out you know who they are more about them what made them buy how they heard about us etc cetera, etc cetera. and then we try to just build new customers around that profile I think the perk of being small is that we're still able to have those one-on-one conversations with our customers and they're still able to uh, give us that feedback real time and I think right now I'm really thankful for just with all of the changes and the updates to iOS and not always having like the resources to have a really sophisticated machine learning tool and you know, one thing is to implement the tool, another thing is then to be able to understand it. And so we really just try to stay as close to our customers and as we try out new channels, whether it be influencer, TikTok, et cetera, um, just continue following up in in survey questions.
1: Yeah, I think that channel diversification piece is huge. I think, you know, iOS was like maybe the bigger bomb, but like GDPR and all these pieces were was coming, you know, and so we all knew that first party data was, was sort of gonna become your, what needed to be your bread and butter. But one interesting thing that we've done is we've gone really broad on Facebook. Um, instead of, you know, we have lookalike audiences and some VIP audiences, but. The broad audience seems to actually work way better for us, and 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 you know, like I said, we've really diversified off of Facebook and the Instagrams of the world, and started doing a, a bunch more channels. But interestingly enough, like where you used to go super targeted, we've seen like really broad ad sets um, in your audience work much better than your like specific narrow defined
5: ones. Agreed. Yeah. Hey, I hear that broad. again and so again.
0: Everyone that. here going broad?
2: Yeah. That's a conspiracy by Facebook to get you to spend more money. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I think it broad. is. Also that. I think it is. I like that. Like uh, about Black Crow. Like uh, part of Black Crow's thing is that you can
0: you can be a bit more choosy about the impressions that you do get, right? Like in terms of remarketing. I, I always think like when I have a, re- a retargeting campaign and my you know my saturation on them is like eight x or whatever, I, I always wonder how efficient that is.
2: Yeah. I mean, are there Facebook people here? Can I speak <laughs> freely? Yeah, I think so. Just yeah. TikTok, TikTok. If the black helicopters come, just like hide me. But no, I mean, listen, what is Facebook's interest, right? Facebook's interest is to keep a brand's nose above water as close to drowning as they can, but just above water so that they can keep spending. And so their optimization is maximum dollars spent for a brand. Maximum dollars spent is not a goal. You're looking for maximum conversions or maximum efficiency. And so those are kind of at odds. And I think someone was talking about uh, the fact that, you know, attribution modeling has kind of sucked. People don't, uh, can't use a machine learning tool. So a lot of, you know, the last decade has been, hey, let Facebook figure it out or let Google figure it out. And they've got ML and optimization. And now it's really, it's sort of coming to a head that the interests are not totally aligned. So you've got to take your own interests at, at heart in a way yeah and so that's why I think like broad audience which is what Facebook raps have been telling all the brands to do it's like that helps them have a much wider base of people where they can keep everyone 's nose above water and still maximize spend, even though the audience sizes have shrunk because Tim Cook is trying to kick Mark Zuckerberg in the nuts every week, so the thing that to- What really works, actually, is taking a much more fine-grained approach. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend less, but if you, for instance, you were talking about retargeting, if you know the future value of users, right, if you know which people are much, much more likely to convert in the future or subscribe in the future versus those who aren't, of course, subject to incrementality, you want to focus your dollars on people that have some future transaction value. Facebook doesn't want you to do that. They want you to spend on everyone and their algorithm will figure it out. We do this over and over with hundreds of brands, but when you see, if you know the future value and start spending your budgets on those with higher future value or look-alike audiences based on those with higher future value, and you start allocating your bids according to value, the, the efficiency gains are massive. And so, the weird thing is, I don't, like, Facebook knows that people are doing this and they know that that enables them to spend more money, but they're still advocating this very broad range, target broadly, because it gives
3: them more control. It's, more slack it's, too, get, right? it's getting people to pay for the impressions that they can't sell.
2: That, that's totally right. They're selling you a massive portfolio of clicks, yeah. and they know if they keep your ROAS above whatever your threshold is, 1.1, you'll just dump money in there. Now, it turns out, if you look at your traffic and where your dollars are being allocated, when you break it down, you know, a third or a half of your spend is way underwater, and another ten or twenty percent is eight x your your ROAS target. But they don't want to let you pick and choose. But you can. Can try some more targeted spend,
0: everyone, on TikTok and Facebook, perhaps. Tax season is over, but that doesn't mean your e-commerce company shouldn't stay on top of things. It's a hassle trying to find a strategic tax advisor that can ensure you have the right financial data needed to make critical business decisions. Look no further. The veteran team at 1-800-Accountant has your back. Boost your profitability with 1-800-Accountant, America's largest virtual accounting firm. They have the on-demand accountants you need to formulate your year-round tax strategy. They offer an entire suite of professional services, including payroll and bookkeeping, to make sure that your eyes are dotted and ts are crossed. Get started today by scheduling a free appointment at 1-800Accountant.com/dtc. Speak to an expert who will show you how to get the most out of your business year round. That's 1-800Accountant.com/dtc to schedule an appointment now. What would you would you guys say is the Biggest challenge that you've overcome with your brand's growth?
3: iOS fourteen point five. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't I, know. Because you guys look, have been growing a lot, right? I, I, let's be honest. Like, Facebook's been both a blessing and a crutch for every single brand that's that's popped up in the last I don't know, five years. Like, every we every, everybody had it easy. Like, it was like a cheat code for for growth. You, Facebook had the data. You gave them some creative. It popped out results, and then. Once everything changed, it, it became very heavily creative and and segmentation focused. And now everybody's kind of well, Facebook's not doing it. Is TikTok going to be the next magic pill? Is what is YouTube going to be the next magic pill? And I think people are having to shift back to fundamentals of marketing, like picking your channels, going after very specific segments of it. And you know, you might not have all the data that you want. Like like honestly, like I'll, I'll look at Facebook data and there'll be like 30 sales on, on one particular ad in a day. And I'll look inside of Google Analytics and I'll dig into last click, last click attribution and there'll be zero. Like, where the hell is it getting this number? Like, why is it telling me to ramp up my spend? I spent $10,000 on, on six sales. Like, that's bullshit. Um, I, I don't, I'm just kind of rambling now. But, you, you know, like, it, it's forcing people to look at, you know, more traditional ways of marketing and, and going back to the roots of, you know, things like, direct mail, or we're even looking at... Newsletters, podcasts. Newsletters, podcasts, like, yeah, creating content, SEO.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hesitate to say this because I... Honestly, I mean, maybe we're not looking at the right things, but iOS 14.5 didn't really, like, change much of our strategy. Like, again, we'd pulled off a lot of Facebook and Instagram leading into the past couple of years here. I think the biggest challenge for us has been cracking the U.S. market, which I think, obviously, is huge. And there's, there's so much more media buys and so many more opportunities there, but the investment and the level of that you sort of need to commit to is so much higher. You know, we, we just did this buy with... Um, this newsletter called Morning Brew, but you know that costs us 20k, you know right out of the gates to execute, and so you've got to be willing a little bit probably to figure out you know for every one influencer that works, ten don't, you know so it's it's those pieces in terms of for us we're finally at a point now where we've probably reached a tipping point with our spend where we can test these bigger media buys, and if not everyone returns like what we need it to, you know the one that does really hit hits really well for us, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Bunny
4: right now i'd say probably supply chain and i think the biggest difference that like ios 14 has made is that you can no longer estimate your sales the same way i think you could when you're able to be like okay i spent this much on facebook i got this row has increase 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 and you can kind of map out what your next 6 months or 12 months would look like and then you'd be able to previously you know for us we'd be able to place purchase orders, you know, three months in advance. And now suddenly I'm supposed to be placing purchase orders for our Q4 sales yesterday. um, And I don't really know what my Q4 sales are going to look like. And so it comes up, you know, a big crunch of being able to continue to invest in marketing and growth and take those risks um, to take some of those bigger swings while still having, you know, cash allocated for inventory that I think I'm going to sell, that I hope I'm going to sell, but without having, you know, as reliable of marketing channels as we used to have when it came to Facebook, et cetera, it just feels like... um, throwing a lot of darts in the air and hoping something lands.
0: Roxette, I know you're only two months in. Yes. So you know, I'm, I'm sure you're beset with challenges right now, but what, what, what would you say is the sort of biggest challenge that you've either overcome or that you're, you're looking to overcome in the next little while?
5: I think just in line with the whole iOS 14 narrative, uh, I think a lot of marketers are now looking into brand building and just brand marketing in general. So we are also at the phase now where we are starting to look into that. Um, We're experimenting now with CTV advertising, um, YouTube, just like really high funnel stuff. Um, And obviously, if you're being smart about it, you can funnel those audiences through down to your remarketing campaigns and to your lower funnel campaigns and just kind of like rebuilding those audiences that have been decreasing over the last few months, as I'm sure everyone has experienced. Um, so yeah, brand building is kind of like top of mind for us at the moment.
2: I can tell you from looking across, like one of the big challenges with maybe some of the the bigger companies we work with has really been. I, I think the message they've taken away from all this turbulence, and I, I think you said it earlier, is like you have to get your first-party data house in order. It's just not an option to let others take care of it, or to not take full advantage of this key asset that brands own, which is their own first-party data and zero-party data. And so we've seen the real smartest guys just say, you know what, I need to take the most expansive view possible of first-party data, and how can I make the most sense of it? And that's a big one, it's the stuff that, you know, Amazon and Facebook and Google have been doing for the last five, seven years and uh, how do they get access to the same kinds of tools and insights that the big guys are because it's not an option to be on autopilot or rely on third-party data.
0: Does anyone have any, any good examples of sort of using first or zero-party data in sort of a new way or, or a way that you're leveraging it or a way you wanna leverage it in your business?
2: That's my whole fucking company. That's your whole fucking
0: company. <laughs> well, start us off, start us off with an innovative- I
2: don't. What's the coupon code,
3: what's the coupon code? Where's your Wait, QR? That? Do you have a coupon code?
2: Yes, we do, but uh, uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. When I say that's my whole fucking company, that's the, the thing that we, like machine learning, is about making sense of massive amounts of data, right? And so I think everyone's got the message over the last few years that companies just generate tons and tons of data. And when most people think about analytics or what sort of customer data do they have, what sort of first-party data do they own? It tends to be a pretty narrow view of it. It's like, what's in my CRM database, which is past purchasers or people who have signed up for my email newsletter to get the 15% off discount, and then they ghost me after that first transaction. But it turns out that like the universe of first-party data that brands own is much larger than that, right? It's all of the interactions and behavior that people who show up to their brand environment perform, right? It's all the context, how they move through your site, how they're lingering on images, you know, what they come back to, how they refine their searches over time. All of that behavioral data, even from someone who's never bought anything or never signed up, that is something you own. It's your first-party data. And traditionally, it's been like dark matter in the data universe. And because there's so much of it, it's a tough technical problem to pull sense out of all that data. Machine learning does a great job of that. And that's what we do all day long is how do you make sense of, meaning how do you produce predictions of the most important KPIs in a business based on what's traditionally been a very hard set of inputs to train, right, real-time streaming data. But it can be done and it's a one-click install if you're a Shopify store.
1: Yeah, and I think you got to start somewhere, right? Like, I think depending on the scale, like, it, it, it is tough. I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but just in in having someone look at that data, you still need, like, the resources a little bit behind it to know.
2: So we, and there's other companies out there helping brands make sense of data, but, you know, in our case, it's you put our pixel on your site and the machine just starts learning. It takes two weeks and have a beautiful predictive model that'll predict the conversion rate or subscription rate of each decile of your traffic and then push it wherever you need it to get pushed into Facebook or TikTok or Klaviyo or whatever it is. And so it's most of our customers don't have a data science team, certainly don't have a machine learning team, you know, and that's why we we built the whole product just to go after that market. But it's really those sorts of like ML insights, those data insights can be consumed Inside of the workflows people are already doing in your Facebook Ad Manager, TikTok Ad Manager, whatever it is, so stuff's getting a lot simpler.
0: It's super. Like I don't. Want, we'll have to do a podcast and go down an AI rabbit hole. But I. But I. I think to me that that's the most interesting thing that AI is going to have to do for us. It's like as we go to a, whether we're on the blockchain or you know as we produce more data, that data is going to get more and more open. I think, and it's really going to be the people that have the ability to make sense of it in any walk of life. That's that's going to be important. Okay. Let, what let I know everyone's giving very sensible answers about it. it doesn't really matter the channel we're going back to you know sensible marketing practices and things like that but what channel are you are you most into right now what what ad channel are you most sort of electrified? CEO is
5: super into TikTok right now and it's doing really well <laughs> but obviously it is very hard to measure so really how we're measuring it right now is just really looking at post checkout surveys but even based on that Um, So we didn't do TikTok last month, and we just started it this month, and we've already seen like a huge increase in post-checkout surveys indicating that they heard about us from TikTok. So that is really promising, even though we can't measure shit on the actual platform. Um, (laughs) So yeah.
0: we're sharing an influencer. Actually, we have we both share Marina, who does we do? Oh, cool. Okay,
3: (laughs) she's great. You actually can track uh, if you're using Google Analytics and you go into multi-channel funnels and you and you break it down by TikTok, like so. If you're looking at your last-click attribution or whatever bullshit TikTok feeds you, the numbers aren't that great. If you go into GA, the channel funnels, assisted conversions, you can and provided you don't have a whole bunch of different conversions set up on your GA, Google Analytics account. You can, you can see all the data there, and it's significantly yeah, and more robust. Yeah, that
5: data is really great to look at, yes, um, but also the customer match rate on TikTok is just so low. That is just 20%, so I feel like we're not measuring the 80% of it, so that's kind of like the biggest issue we have with it right now. And also their conversion window, I believe is pretty short. I wanna say like one day. Just
3: just ignore it. Uga.
5: But but we're also lucky in a sense that like our conversion window in general for luggages is pretty small to begin with, so we're able to get away with that. But like previously at Article, like nobody would buy into TikTok because it takes like what sixty days to make a purchase for furniture. Uh, So yeah, it's great
4: that it only takes a day, I guess, for people to buy luggages.
0: Nice. Any other comments on favorite
1: channels?
4: Right now, ours is TikTok, uh, going really deep in influencer and Amazon.
1: Yeah, I mean, just on that influencer, we've seen really good um, sort of ROI with, like, YouTube collaborations, I mean, a level of influencer, obviously, but that partnership, like, if you've got a product that needs, like, a really someone to get behind it and explain it and sort of show you the adventure they're doing in their doer jeans, et cetera. Like, it, it really helps communicate a lot of the sort of value props outside of these, like, short six-second, you know, reels. It sort of, in a way, almost feels a little bit more authentic sometimes rather than sort of just, like, your influencer on TikTok. Or... I,
0: I did a podcast yesterday with Tabs. Has anyone heard of tabschocolate.com? They're, like, a viral chocolate company. They're, they make one product. It's called Sex Chocolate. It's apparently chocolate that improves your sex. And it's all designed to be a viral product. They haven't spent anything on ads. And their strategy on TikTok is basically, they give people franchises essentially, where you get like a Tabs chocolate, like Orlando or something. And that, that way they like build that distribution channel with an influencer. And they say, hey, you're not just an influencer for us. Pyramid you're, scheme. You're like a franchisee. No, they don't pay for it. <laughs> no, they, it's free, it's free 99. But then they have a new channel and it's like Tabs Orlando. And then they create content and then they just do rev share but it's a way to like lock in that distribution channel with influencers, which I think is, was an interesting one. I just wanted to say sex chocolate at this thing, so that's why I did that.
2: Anyone else selling sex? Because it's a different thing, you know, when you're selling you combine sex. Combine them both, is easy to sell, I would imagine.
0: All right, I want to thank this panel for coming up today and uh, sharing their answers here. Let's give them a round of applause. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.